Okay, so Revelation chapter 21, this will be part two, Revelation 21 part two, and I'm going to pick up where we left off because we finished at verse four, so I'm going to start at verse five, and I'll go through verse 10, so that's as far as we're going to be able to go, and I've been looking at this all week and thinking, well, how much further can we go, and you know, I thought, well, this will be three, we'll do probably three but it may be four or five before we finish all of it. Now, last week, wasn't that good? Wasn't it good to just think about the new heaven and the new earth? I mean, it just takes my imagination and gets it flying. So all week long, you know, I've been thinking about it. John brought up a scripture a moment ago. That was like, yeah. Yeah, did you hear that? So I'm going to say for the people that listen to the recording, that the computer, I think, just made a strange noise. That's what that was, and <laughs> we thought it was funny. But all week long, I mean, John brought up that scripture, and we weren't sure when he read that or when he pointed it out to me, was that about the millennial reign or was that about the new heaven and the new earth? Because uh, it does say something in there about babies being born and never dying. It does say something about that. And uh, you know, just the fact that you would find that today and bring it today and read it today you know, it just ties in so well with, with what we're thinking about. It, it goes on to say what? It goes on to say about Jesus okay. reigning after the millennium. Millennial reign? Okay. One of the things, and Isaiah is, is, you know, probably a classic prophet at this, but one of the things about the prophets is, you can be reading along and one verse is telling you about Jesus and the very next verse is a thousand years ahead or two thousand years ahead or who knows how far ahead. Good. Good. Excellent. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's just amazing. Like you can read something that's looking at the, the lifetime of Jesus and the next verse is talking about his return which is already 2,000 years in the future. So it's just amazing when you read it that way. Right. That's right. That's right. One of those fascinating things to me about the millennial reign of Christ is again you've got a world full of people who are like us along with resurrected saints for a thousand years and Christ himself ruling and reigning on the earth. And we've just never seen anything like that. And tonight we're gonna to look at the, the new heaven and new earth a little bit further and it does the same kind of thing. It takes us into a new territory. It's just something that none of us have ever seen or ever experienced or, or we, we just know nothing about it. So let's read five through 10 first, we'll pray and then we'll just start taking that apart in the time we have tonight. So beginning with verse five. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts of the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, 
Come here, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And even though that's a comma, that's where we're going to stop. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, again, we are so grateful for your word, so grateful for the things that you have planned for us that we can read about in a passage like this. So stir our minds, stir our hearts, and help us to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we start in verse 5 with all things new. This is the not the first place, but it's one of just a handful of places in the Bible where you have something that looks like God the Father speaking from the throne. Sometimes you have places that say, you know, I heard a voice from the throne. And that, that's what this is. He who sits on the throne. So we're talking about God. And if you want to think of God the Father, I think that's the best way to think of it. If you want to think of just God the Trinity, you can think of it like that. But he who sits on the throne said, I am making all things new. You can think of Christ being the one who speaks. But, but either way, this is God speaking from his throne. And he's the one who says, I'm going to make everything new. Now let me give you a passage of scripture because this new that we're talking about, it doesn't start then. The new that we're talking about has already started. So here's the passage. It's out of uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16 and then uh, 5.17. So I'm going to read you a little bit of both. So 2 Corinthians 4.16 and then 5.17. This is what it says. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That's 4.16. Then 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That's going to be our theme for camp this summer, Julie, Lynn. That's going to be our, our theme, all things new. And if you think about it, we're going to have students at camp. We're going to be talking about that idea. And for some of them, I mean, we're old enough. We're like, y'all are just getting started. Everything's new to you, right? But for them, you know, some of them are dealing with things and they're thinking like, you know, my life's a mess. Well, I know adults that think the same thing, right? My life's a mess. But then when you give your life to Christ, it's, it's all things new. And, and maybe we think about the here and now. We think about well, what's happening in my life. I need, I need a do-over. I need a, a, a restart right here in my life. But it's so much deeper than that. When, it, when the scripture says all things have made new, that newness that's going to last forever, that's what happens. That's what starts at the moment of conversion. So y'all have heard me explain this different ways. This is what it means. A person's physically alive. They're mentally alive. And all that means. And then spiritually a person is dead apart from Jesus Christ. So every person you know that is not a true believer and does not have the Holy Spirit within them, they are alive physically, they are alive mentally, but spiritually they're considered dead as far as the Bible is concerned. It means they're cut off from God, they don't have the Spirit of God in them, they do not live spiritually. They can't talk to God, they can't hear God, they can't, just like a, a dead person can't communicate with a live person, that's what it's like. You're spiritually dead, you can't talk to the living God. Okay, but the moment a person is converted, it is the Spirit of God that moves into that person and causes them to live. So now, for the first time in their existence, they're physically, mentally, and spiritually alive. And that spiritual life lasts forever. Never goes away. So when Paul says, you know, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, that's what he's talking about. Something new started that was not there before. 
you know, science can't measure that. It's a spiritual thing. And so we're taking that idea, bringing it into what we just read here in Revelation, where Jesus said he makes all things new. He starts making all things new in you the moment of your conversion. And that keeps going, and it goes on forever. And we're reading about it in its fullest sense. This is after the resurrection, after the judgment, after the millennial reign of Christ. All that's done, and now we're in the new heaven and new earth. Here we are, and Jesus is saying, this is it. That's why the scripture will go on to say a little bit later, it is done. So that gives you kind of a, a way of thinking about that, all things being new. I mentioned this last week, and so I just want to bring it out again this week. Adam and Eve were perfect, right? perfect we tend to look back and think that's as good as it gets that's as good as it gets but the truth is innocence and perfection and creation is as is not as good as it gets so what you're looking at when you get here to the end of revelation and all things are being made new you're seeing the full picture of the plan of god so the plan of god was to make man and woman perfect but then included in that plan was that they had the ability to choose. They sinned. They failed. They brought death into the human race, into all the world. But then God's plan included redemption, sending Jesus to save them, to redeem them. And part of that redemption is they become spiritually alive. They now are one with Christ because his spirit is within them. So a person today is better off than Adam was the day he was made. Adam was perfect, but he didn't have Christ within. Adam was perfect and he walked in the garden, but he didn't have the indwelling spirit of God. He wasn't a redeemed man. So redeemed man is better than innocent man. That's what we're trying to say. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? You probably never thought of yourself as having an advantage over Adam and Eve, right? You have an absolute advantage over Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had never sinned. They were perfect in every way, but they did not have the indwelling spirit of God. They didn't know what it was about to be redeemed. There is a reason that the angels are fascinated with us. They're fascinated with us because we're the only redeemed creatures anywhere in creation. They know about um, their, uh, let's, what do we call them, their um, associates that went the other way. You know, they know about the demonic beings who are condemned forever. They know about themselves being made in perfection and living in perfection, angelic beings. They remember Adam and Eve being created perfect. They know what fallen man is all about, being separated from God and all of the disaster that that represents. But it is this group, the redeemed of the earth, that's what fascinates the angels. Because there's nothing else like us anywhere. And that's why it's better to be redeemed than it would be even to be perfect. Because if you think about it, to be redeemed is to be perfect again. We were never perfect, but in redemption we became perfect. And that's all the work of God. So when Jesus says, I'm making all things new, that's already started in you. And it's going forward. Just, just fascinating. All right, so let's go a little bit further. He says, right, for these things are true and faithful. I get the feeling that John was so overwhelmed by some of this that he just quit writing. That's what I think happened. And, and he's like, it's like he's getting a reminder. You need to write this down. And so let's go to verses 6 and 8. So the same one speaking from the throne says, it is done. This is the full and complete. There's nothing left after this. Everyone's redeemed. That's, that's redeemed. They're in the new heaven and the new earth. It's all there. It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. You know this. It's the beginning and, it, and the end. It's the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. In other words, Jesus from the throne, he's saying, I am everything. 
And then notice what he does. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him, him who thirsts. We try to explain faith, right? We try to tell people what faith is. I, I tell them it's trust. You know, it's you sat down in that chair. You believe that chair would hold you up. Y'all ask Jesse what happened a couple Sundays ago when she tried to sit in a chair down front, right? She trusted that it was going to hold her up, and she went to sit on that thing, and it wasn't worthy of trust. And she didn't fall, but she did kind of scream a little bit. All right, But we don't think about it, right? You just pulled out the chair, you just sat down. We think of that as trust. We think of that as faith. And that's a good illustration of it. But this one is the one that comes out of the Bible. Jesus says, the one from the throne says, I will give to the one who's thirsty living water to drink. And that's probably the best understanding of faith that it is. God is offering us something. We are thirsty for it. We don't work for it. We don't earn it, but we just receive it. Just like you drink water in. Like I had to go get some of this. Green tea, favorite kind. I could have got water, but I chose green tea. It was in a trunk. But, you know, if, if God gave me something to drink, I didn't earn it. I just take it in and receive it. And that's the image of faith. That's what saving faith is about. It's not work. It's not something you earn. It's something you receive as a gift from God. And so I, I think that's probably one of the better ways to describe what we mean when we talk about faith. All right, so we go a little bit further in it. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And he goes on to say, I will be his God and he will be my son. If you want to know what inheriting all these things means, that's what it's about. It's about the special relationship that we have with our maker. He's our father. We are his child. Um, there is a passage in the scripture in John. You may remember this. You know, it's, it's, it's Jesus on the cross and Mary's there. And John's there. John, John's the only disciple present. Mary, his birth mother, is there. And while Jesus is on the cross, he looks at Mary and he says, that's your son. And then he looks at John, he says, that's your mother. And just like that, their earthly relationship was changed from mother to son. So on a much grander scale, that's what we're talking about. You went from being whoever you thought you were to when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he becomes your father, you become his child. It's a new kind of relationship. And that's what it means to inherit all things. You inherit all things because God is the owner and maker of all things. Now, fascinating passage, you go a little further. The cowardly, the unbelieving, they will have their part in the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever. So, cowardice, cowardly. Kind of, I mean, whoever thought of being a coward is a sin, right? This is what I think it means. Because when the book of Revelation was being written, it was a very difficult and time of persecution for the Christian church. Uh, it was not, a, like if you were timid, if you were on the fence about Jesus, it was much safer to be against Jesus than to be for him. And so a person could look at it, they could count the cost, they'd say, I don't know if this is worth it, I'm not sure, I'm out. And that's what the scripture is speaking of. For the cowardly and the unbelieving, the only option left for them is the lake of fire. It's the only one left. Again, just fascinating. Now, the prophets, and John's a prophet here, but this is what all the prophets do. The prophets are dream makers. You know, they take the truth of God, whatever they have, and they give it to people almost always in the form of words, and they create dreams in people's minds. You know, and, and that's what John's doing. He's giving us this image he received from God, and we're using our minds. We're thinking about it, imagining it, and he's, he's putting a dream in our mind. 
And, and, when he, and all the prophets are dream makers. And when we see that and we embrace that, it starts to change who we are and it changes how we live. Like every one of you, once you really take hold of the concept of heaven and eternity, it takes all of your trials, all of your struggles in this life and puts them in a whole new light. It doesn't mean you don't grieve. It doesn't mean you don't hurt. It doesn't mean you don't experience loss. You do. You just see those things in a different way because you know they are just temporary that they don't last forever. And you take it to heart that what comes next can't be compared to what we have now. It just changes it, changes it all the way around. So that's what the prophets do. They give us those dreams. They are the dream makers for us. There was a phrase in leadership that I just kind of brought into Christian theology for myself to kind of understand it. But it was a leadership phrase that says this, if you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. I say that again. If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. And that was used as a leadership thing because it was saying if you're going to lead an organization, somebody's got to see where you're going. And if a person can't see where we're going before you see where you're going, you'll never get where you're going. So if you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. That works in theology. That is absolutely true in theology. If you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. If, if, you can't, if someone tells you Jesus Christ died for your sins 2,000 years ago, if, that does, if you don't see that, if God didn't help you understand that, you'll never see it. Like No one else can convince you it's real. There are lots of people who don't believe who can tell you the theology. They can tell you a Christian person believes Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, but they don't believe it, so they don't see it. And if you don't see it before you see it, you never see it theology. All right, let's go a little bit further because I want to talk about 9 and 10 before Michelle comes running in here and tells me I'm out of time. 9 and 10. The angel says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, so it's one of those last uh, group of angels, he comes to him and says, I'm going to take you and show you the bride, the bride now, the lamb's wife, and he carries, away, carries him away in the spirit and what does he show him? The city. So the city is the bride, right? The bride is the city. The bride is coming down from heaven, from God, to this new earth. And so we're going to talk about the size of this thing next week and, and the shape of it and the scale of it and all of that. And that in itself is fascinating and it has some important points to it. But right now, the only thing we really need to see is the angel said, I'm going to show you the bride and the bride is the city. That's the fascinating part. So it's not so much the space, it's the face, right? Um, when y'all look at brides, you see a bride come down the aisle, what's the first thing you look at? Face and the dress, right? One of the, like, you're going to see the dress, you're going to see her face. That, that's what you, and, you know, in the details of the dress, you'll work on that later, you know. But, but you want to see the face of the bride and the, the dress of the bride. Right? That's basically what John's doing. He's been told, hey, I'm going to show you the bride. And then he goes and looks, and it's the city. So all the glory that goes with that, all of the radiance that goes with that, all of the theological truths like perfection and, and, and wonder and all of that, it all is seen in the city. And he tries to describe it using terms like a city, but he's not going to leave out the concept of the bride because the bride is the city. So let me do a little bit of that. Okay, the city is it's got all of these stones. Actually, I probably don't need to go that far. I probably just need to stay where I am. Let me do this, and then I'll kind of wrap it up. 
There is the church universal. Okay, the day that you became a believer, you became a part of the church. The church universal includes all people, no matter when they lived, who were saved by Jesus Christ. Now, I say it that way because I can't, like, it confuses people if I say Moses believed in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was born so much later, and they would say, well, how did he believe in Jesus Christ? Well, Moses believed in Jesus Christ because he believed in the one that God promised to send. He didn't know his name. He didn't know when it would happen, but he believed in the one. Adam and Eve believed in Jesus Christ. But when I say it that way, I confuse people because they go, wait a minute, that's a long time from now. But remember what Adam and Eve were told. They were told that one will be born of this woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Serpent will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. And, and so there was a promised one. And Adam and Eve believed in that promised one, even though he was a long time from being born. And so when you're talking about Old Testament people like that, you know, it's, it's easy to get people confused. So that's why I say it this way. The church universal is every person that Jesus Christ ever saved. On this side of the cross, on that side of the cross, doesn't matter where. Because he died for the sins of all the world, past, present, and future, from the cross. He did it in one place at one time for everybody. Even if they had already died or even if they, you know, would die in the future. He died one time for everybody. Paid for their sins. And therefore, when a person is saved, even whether it was past or present, it's all done through the work of Christ. And when you start thinking of it like that, doesn't it put the cross of Christ in a different perspective for you? I mean, it kind of makes it sound different. When, when Pilate said, look, hey, don't you know that I have the ability to release you? And Jesus is over there saying something along the lines of, uh, you have no power over me unless it's given to you from above. In other words, I prayed about this. I know about this. I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. Now, that sounds like a lot of sass, and I don't think Jesus did that necessarily. But that is what he was saying, right? He knew where he was and what he was doing and what was going to happen to him. He told everybody up front, and that's the way it happened. And it had to happen that way or none of us would ever be saved. And the people that had already died believing in him, their salvation was dependent upon Jesus dying for their sins. It's kind of fascinating. But that's the church universal. The day you were believe, became a believer, you became a part of the church universal. That's your identity. Now, the second part of that is the church local. The church local... That's not your identity. That's your, that's your work. Okay, that's us. That's us as a local congregation. It's, it's, it's you know, 10 or 12 of us when we meet here and pray, or it's, it's ever how many we have outside tonight, or how many show up on Sunday. Uh, wherever we go, whatever we do, a Bible school or camp or whatever we're doing, we're the church local. We are the, the visible expression of the body of Jesus Christ in the world today. I hope that gives you a lot of feeling of responsibility <laughs> like, like you are the body of christ in the world today you're it you're the voice of jesus in the world you're the hands of jesus in the world to the people around you you are the feet of jesus in all the places you go you are the presence of jesus for all the places where you are and the people that you see you are the church local and that is an awesome responsibility that's our work you know sometimes people say to me i can believe in god i don't have to go to church and i'm going hmm that's not what Jesus said. You know, yeah, there are times Christians can't meet. There are times when it's dangerous and all that kind of thing. But the normal and natural thing for believers to do is to meet together, whether it's two or three or two or three hundred. It is for them to meet together, to call upon him and to bring that that expression, that visible expression of the body of Christ together in the world. And then they scatter out everywhere they go 
and take his presence, his word, his ministry. They just go do good in his name. Like, I, I don't know. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you think about? Okay, don't tell. No, maybe, maybe you don't want to say. All right, I get that. But, but let me give you something you could think about. <laughs> maybe not what you do think about, but what you could think about. When you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the floor, and you're about to get out of bed and go. One of the things that could be on your mind is, Lord, where do you want me to go today? What do you want me to do? What kind of good in the world are we going to do today? Right? What kind of good in the world are we going to do today? You never know. One of the things that just absolutely blows me away as a pastor, okay, because sometimes, and, and this is true of anybody, but this is what happens to me as a pastor. And I tell Michelle this all the time. She said, what are you going to do today? I said, I have no idea. I mean, I got a plan. I got a calendar. I got appointments. I know some places I'm supposed to be. But the truth is, every single day, I have no clue what might actually happen. Who's going to call? Who's going to need something? You know, what, what might come my way? What might be placed in my hand? And if it's placed in my hand, it's probably not for me. It's for me to give to somebody else. You know, and that's one of the most exciting things that I get to do every single day. So when I wake up, I'm a happy guy, you know. Even before coffee, believe that or not. I'm a happy guy even before coffee because I'm thinking to myself, what, where am I going to get to go? What am I going to get to do? And what kind of good are we going to do in the world today? It just blows me away. So Michelle and I, have y'all heard of these books, you know, where you, um, it's like a five-year thing. So every, every day you write one sentence for five years. Y'all heard of this? John's like, that sounds like a terrible idea. Okay, so it's a little book. And Michelle and I have one. And, and so she has a page and I have a page. And so every day, we, it's not a diary. You don't write a lot in it. And, you know, she writes a little more than me. I'm like, one sentence. That's all you got to do. So I'm <laughs> writing my one sentence. And so you just write one thing. Whatever you remember, whatever was important, whatever was big today. Because I can't write everything. There's so much that happened, you know, since noon today. I could fill up a journal on that. But one thing, okay? So you write the one thing. The biggest thing that just comes to mind at the end of the day. And then we're going to finish this thing eventually. It's five years long. And the goal is when you're done is to be able to flip back and look at that thing and have a written record, something you did in handwriting. That's... You know, the young people, they don't know about that. You did it in handwriting. It's just a written record of the kind of things that God let you get into and be a part of over five years. It's pretty exciting stuff. Start with what? Yes, doctor visit today. That was, that's where I'm starting. But again, you just never know. So that's the church local. You're the church local. So the church universal, that's your identity. The church local, that's your work, okay? And then we've got one other thing. I'm going to call it the church of the future, and that's our mission. That's our mission, the church of the future, okay? Chili's in St. Augustine or Palatka. Chili's exist for what? They're customers, okay? They're trying to find customers, they're trying to keep customers. They want to make their customers happy, give their customers what they need. They want their customers to come back. Okay, so Chili's exists for customers. That's how they make money. I know you, we could say, well, they exist for money. Well, they don't, nobody just gives you money. Like, you've got to do something. So they exist for their customers. The church, we don't have customers, right? We are, we are the body of Christ, but we exist to do two things, to bring glory to God, and to reach out to people who are not part of us yet. 
That's it. I mean, we, we're right here. We're in the Harris Center. We're praying tonight. We're doing Bible study tonight. Sunday we'll be back here for worship. We exist to bring glory and honor to God, and we exist for people that are not here yet. We've not met them. We don't know who they are. I mean, maybe they're your friends. Maybe they're your family or associates, whatever, but they're not believers yet, and we exist for them. That's why we're here. That's our mission. So you'll see this later in Revelation when you're looking at the city, it's got a foundation. The foundation is the 12 apostles. So the, everything we do is built upon the gospel that the 12 apostles were entrusted with from Jesus himself, right? That's what we're doing. If, it, if those 12 apostles had not gone out and shared the message of Jesus Christ, there wouldn't be an unbroken chain all the way to 2018, and we're sitting here tonight. But there is an unbroken chain. And we've been entrusted with that same gospel. We exist to take that message to people that have never heard it before. That's our mission. So that's the church of the future. You watch some of these young people come in here in a little bit. Some of them will get on your nerves. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that right, Candy? Some of them will get on your nerves. Some of them will get on your nerves. But let me tell you now, some of those walking in the door, they are the church of the future. They are the church of the future. For all I know, one of them will preach my funeral. They are the church of the future. And they have friends that hadn't walked in a church door ever. And those people, they're the church of the future. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. Because that's what Jesus called us to. All right, that's as far as we can go tonight. Through verse 10. We'll pick it up with part 3 next week. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, you have blessed us beyond measure. You let us be a part of the church in a universal sense, and a local sense, and you give us a mission to do your work and share your word with people who've absolutely not heard anything yet. So thank you for this, God, and guide us as we leave here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. 645.